Hello and welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael, a former wine salesman and vineyard worker. And I am Gabe, a WSAT Level 3 certified administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. Which is why I ask him the questions. So today we decided, oh, uh, before I do, uh, please follow us at Laidback Lush on Twitter and Instagram if you have not already done so. We didn't say welcome back yet. I just I just jumped straight into it. We're I'm so, so excited eager. to record right now because we, we missed a week. Yes, we did. And it was my fault because your boy might have pneumonia. So woohoo. Woohoo. But it's good. I am on antibiotics now. So we are going to be having a great time. Also, if you are experiencing any symptoms that are mistakable for pneumonia, please go get yourself tested. Yeah. This yeah. is our LBL PSA. <laughs> In the any Delta case, variant is real, guys. Yeah, very real. In any case, though, we do apologize for being on that brief hiatus. We are doing this earlier in the week than we normally do, and we are going to be actually going into a little bit of a recap. So earlier on in our podcasting career, earlier, earlier on, all 21 episodes ago, we had decided to create an episode designed to help you to get through your tasting process. The vision for this episode was to create a simple step-by-step process and then exemplify that process. Yeah. What we did instead, upon rediscovering <laughs> it and listening to it, uh, was kind of a train wreck with a lot of very dense information that was not as user-friendly as we want. We've learned a lot since then. We, we have. And we also, in the spirit of this podcast, are wanting to improve our methods. Yes. As well as provide you with something that does do that very thing. Yeah. So today we've compiled a short list. We're going to be doing a quick overview of those things. And then we're going to be doing a tasting. Yes. Just step-by-step process on at least our process of how to taste wine. Yep. So the very first thing that we take a look at is going to be the appearance and the color. Then we start looking at the aromas, which includes intensity and the development. Then we are going to the palate. Once we actually get it into our mouths, we are looking for sweetness. We are looking for taste, which includes the different notes, acid levels, your tannin levels, how much alcohol is readable inside of the wine, as well as the body or the thickness, the viscosity, the intensity, how strong those flavors come across, And then the finish, which once you have swallowed the wine is simply whether or not you can still taste it afterwards and for how long. Yep. So that is the concise way of saying it. Let's dive into it a little bit more Mm -hmm. before we taste, just to kind of give you guys some pointers on what to look for in what we just listed. So for your appearance and your color, what are you looking at? Obviously, you're looking for if it's a white, a red, or a rosé wine. You can tell a lot about the age of a wine from the color in general. As most wines age, they tend to go from orange to even brown. Mm -hmm. Sherry is actually a great example. Oxidative styles tend to be fully brown by the time they are bottled. So your your super young red wine, that's going to be like a purplish hue? Purple, bright red, maybe. And then it gets Depends on the grape, more normally. of like a brickish, mm-hmm. and then eventually orange, and yep. then eventually brown where it's clear on the edges. For your white wines, you know you're going to get some white wines are actually kind of green in hue. But uh, in general, most white wines are going to kind of start out in your pale-ish lemon category, and then they'll kind of move to gold and then to brown as they age. Rosés tend to pick up more orange. Most rosé is not meant to age in general, though. Uh, Rosé can range to orange, but that is a lot more influenced normally 
by the skin contact that it underwent in the process. Because mm-hmm. not all rosé is created the same, depending on where it comes from. Now, what about the development? Development on a wine, so again, that's under our aromas, that is how much development is on the wine. And again, the appearance of your wine. Oh, something else for appearance is um, haziness or cloudiness. That's normally indicative of a fault. Some natural wines are a little bit cloudy, and that's on purpose. But in general, you want to look for clarity in your wine. That's just a note to make note of. So now moving on to aromas. Yes, but development for aromas. So that bricking or encroaching of orange or brown can indicate development on your appearance. But on the nose, development will tend to start smelling like, if you remember, we talked about secondary and tertiary characteristics Mm -hmm. a while back. Tertiary characteristics in particular, so reminder, secondary is what happens in the winemaking process, so oak aromas, malolactic fermentation aromas. So we have our primary, those are going to be your fruits. Natural to the grapes, yeah. Natural to the grapes. That's what came into the winery. Then we have our vanilla, our oak flavors. Mm -hmm, Secondary. And then the tertiary ones, those are going to be caused by primarily oxidation. Yeah, uh, yeah, bottle age, oxidation, micro-oxygenation through the cork. So... For white wines, hay, honey, almond, nutty aromas, that is indicative of your development normally. For red wines, it tends to be a lot more on like leaves, tobacco, leather, forest floor, even barnyard. Even though barnyard, as we've said before, can be a result of Britannomyces on a wine, but it can also come from some bottle age. So that is an indicator of your development. These should pretty much almost always be reinforced on the palate. If you are not smelling something in a wine, nine times out of ten, you are not tasting that thing in the wine. Also for aroma, intensity. The intensity of the smell will tell you normally a lot about the grape itself and also the quality of the wine. Most wines fall into somewhere in the medium spectrum, but when you start getting into very pronounced wines... Some grapes like Sauvignon Blanc, Viognier, Gewürztraminer are naturally just very pronounced wines. They will almost always have a pronounced nose. For grapes that are not necessarily aromatic varieties or for your red wines, a pronounced nose can normally be a pretty solid indicator of the quality of the wine because it it does take some winemaking finesse and good grapes to get a pronounced nose on a wine if it's not already a grape that's naturally inclined to that pronounced aroma profile. Yeah. Because you have your more purposefully aromatic grapes, Mm -hmm. and a lot of those are going to be white wines. Yeah. But the ones that aren't as purposefully aromatic, that really does take Mm -hmm. curation. And if you, um, this is something that's hard if you don't have someone who kind of uh, can help you with this, but a good way to practice is just to line wines that you try up and kind of gauge where each one is in terms of the intensity, or I could say the concentration level of each aroma profile for the wines and just kind of start judging between wines and start developing a scale there. So moving on from the nose to the palate, we have our sweetness, which is pretty much self-explanatory. It goes from dry to sweet. If you're including dessert wines, you can go to lusciously sweet. Most wines, if they're sweet, are typically going to be in the off-dry to medium-sweet category. Aside from like sparkling wines, fully sweet wines are actually kind of uncommon unless, again, they are a explicitly dessert wine. There is one level beyond lusciously sweet. It's called caustically sweet. 
caustically sweet means that it makes you want to throw up. It's syrup. Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes you want to throw up. It's so sweet. After sweetness, we have our acid. Acid is basically the mouth-watering response is how you gauge acid. If your mouth waters a lot, that's a high acid wine, or if it kind of hurts your, if you have sensitive teeth, if it kind of hurts your teeth a little bit, uh, particularly on some of your white wines, that's a high acid wine. If the wine barely makes your mouth water at all, it's typically going to be a lower acid wine. A good way to gauge this is to see how many times you have to swallow, Mm -hmm. because there is two things that can kind of trick your mouth in this regard. Sweetness, because sweetness can mask acidity. So we've talked about Sautern in the past. Sautern is high acid and high sugar. You would not guess it's high acid normally. If you pay attention to how many times you swallow after drinking a Sautern, you will discover, yes, this is a high acid wine. Acid keeps the wine refreshing, basically. Yeah. So that's why it's desirable. And another thing that it can, it's not necessarily going to mask it, but it can kind of disguise it is tannins. Mm -hmm. Because your high tannin levels are going to be balanced out by acids, which allow you to basically coat your mouth Mm -hmm. in order to keep those tannins from clinging to all the proteins of your gums and your tongue. Oh, also alcohol. So high alcohol wine can make your mouth water a lot on entry into your mouth. But then it goes away pretty much immediately. And also, uh, this is getting very technical, but alcohol tends to make the back of your mouth water more than the front of your mouth. So pay attention to where your mouth is watering and for how long. Because if it's just the alcohol in the back of your mouth and it goes away pretty much immediately, that's alcohol, not acid normally. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, back to tannin. Tannin, again, comes from grape skins and stems and seeds. And how does it register on the palate? Astringency. So so, so it kind of grips mm-hmm, because, your tongue, kind of makes it feel dried out. Yeah, tannins are amino acid chains, and so they bind to proteins in your saliva. That's what creates that drying sensation in your mouth. So the amount of tannins ranges, again, like all of these from low to high. Um, low being typically like your Pinot Noirs and Gamay, high being Cabernet Sauvignon, Sangiovese, Nebbiolo. And these can have a variety of textures depending mm-hmm. on the quality of the grapes as well as the skill of the winemaker and, and the, the ripeness age. of the grape. Yeah, and the yeah. age of the wine itself. Yeah, uh, tannins soften in the bottle with age because they bind together. My boss describes it as uh, having rice in your mouth versus spaghetti noodles. Spaghetti noodles are going to feel a little bit softer just because they're longer. They're not as, uh, there's not as much surface area to be yeah. gripping the things in your mouth there. And that comes with bottle age, the ripeness of the grapes when they are picked. If they're picked too early, that typically means greener tannins, which means more bitter and astringent tannins. Mm -hmm. The riper they are, the typically more velvety and softer they tend to be in the final wine, even if they are at a very high level. And to give you kind of a context between greener and riper tannins, think of those greener tannins as being kind of like that green section right underneath the bark. Of something, mm-hmm. whereas your riper tannins are going to be kind of like a cherry skin or yeah. a plum, a plum peel, mm-hmm. something along those lines. So moving on from tannin, we have our alcohol. Alcohol is pretty self-explanatory. Whatever the bottle tells you is typically uh, just what it is. There Gabe is some has leeway. an uncanny ability <laughs> to tell the alcohol yeah. percentage on wines. I was just about to say, so you can train yourself to be able to read tannin without looking at the bottle, or uh, sorry, alcohol without necessarily looking at the bottle. 
I, it's still, I, I can't tell you like 13.2, but I can normally tell you 13, 13, 5, 14. The way you can tell is typically just by the heat. Everybody I've talked to tends to feel it differently. I kind of feel it right at the back of my mouth, kind of right at the start of my throat. My boss tends to feel it at the bottom of her throat. Alcohol burn is the best way to try and look at where the alcohol is, how much it's affecting, where you know you feel alcohol. And again, a lot of this just comes from looking at a bottle and seeing what it is and then trying it and what it feels like to you and building up just reinforcing that over and over again. If you want to practice, just look at your wine bottles that you purchase and start keeping track of that in your head because it, it will become easier as you go on. For me, I end up feeling most of the heat in my nose. Mm, okay yeah. in, in retro nasal it alcohol also pushes up because it evaporates right so it also pushes up flavors into that retro nasal passage so yes that, that is another way you can tell yeah then we have the body this is one of the more simple ones essentially there are different viscosities between different types of wine mm -hmm. they're going to range in what i was at least trained to verbalize as being the difference between skim two percent and whole milk yeah so you can have a lighter body with that kind of skim texture that kind of skim weight on your tongue you can also have something that's a little thicker kind of has a heavier denser feel to it and then it can get pretty viscous mm -hmm. and this is also going to be a combination of everything we just listed so sweetness alcohol tannin acid will all affect the perception of body acid tends to make a body feel lighter tannins and alcohol tend to make it feel heavier the higher the levels are and it really is the weight on your palate, mm -hmm. like on your tongue itself is how you read that. Mm -hmm. This is this is still, I think, my weakest tasting area. It's uh, depending on just your own personal set of tasting prowess. It can take a while to figure this one out because, again, so many of these factors that we just talked about influence body. But in general, if you have a wine that is uh, higher in alcohol and higher in tannin, a red wine, you're pretty much guaranteed it's going to have a medium, high, medium to full body. If you're drinking a Pinot Grigio and it's high acid with no tannin and pretty low alcohol comparatively, you probably have a pretty light-bodied wine. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, so it, it's kind of like math in a way. Meanwhile, the very small percentage of you that still drinks Oaky Chardonnay, <laughs> you know what a full-bodied white wine is. Yes. Yeah. That all is uh, kind of the body and then also the taste. And so I, I wrote down taste just to mean, are you tasting the same aromas that you were smelling? Mm -hmm. If you start tasting things that you weren't smelling, go back and smell it again and see if you're able to pick it up. If you are picking up things that you are just not smelling, it could be a couple things. It could just be you're not used to tasting. And so maybe you don't have um, language for what you are smelling. It could also be if you're just tasting things that are not anywhere on the nose, that's normally not a great sign for the quality of the wine. It could be an indicator of like additives or certain other things. Saying all that to say, you, you your nose should match your palate pretty much exactly. There are certain things where on the nose you might smell a lot of tertiary, but then you taste it and it's a lot more on the primary end of things. But you're still smelling and tasting the same things. It's just what's being accentuated is different. That is very common. And those are a lot of the fun ones because yeah. those tertiary flavors end up coloring. You know, you could have peaches with a tertiary flavor that ends up turning it into peaches in a crust. Yeah. You know, it. Those, that's when you can get into some really interesting flavor combinations that mm -hmm. really give you some character. 
That is very common. But again, if you're tasting things that are just like not on the nose, that's a little concerning. Moving from flavors to intensity, again, it's just like on the nose. How intense is it on your palate? Yeah. What is the flavor concentration on your palate? Again, typically, the more concentrated the flavors on the palate are, the higher quality the wine. Yeah. And what's really ringing through the most? Is it the fruits that are ringing through the most? Uh, Are you getting more acidity than anything else? Because these contribute to what we call the balance of the wine. A well-balanced wine is going to have enough acidity in order to give you context on the tannin structure. Yeah. If it is going to be sweet, the sweetness isn't going to be syrupy. It's going to be cut through with the acid. A lot Mm -hmm. of this has to do with very basic chemistry on the palate. Yeah. And and balance also is just kind of, does the wine taste right? I I don't really know how else to put it other than that. Does it strike you correct? Yeah. You will typically know if you're tasting an off-balance wine. There are certain wines that I try sometimes where it's one thing is slightly wrong and I like harp on it. Michael's seen me do that a couple times. Yeah. He's just like, oh, no, it's 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 uh, it's good. And then, like, there is this one thing. And he goes Columbo on this stuff. And it's just like, oh, that one thread that now is unraveled. Because he's right. It's not as though he wasn't noticing something. For for the average drinker, I think, it, it's does it taste right to you? Because yeah. it, it's normally unbalanced wines are very obvious that they're unbalanced. I will say that. The finish kind of rounds out this whole tasting note that you do. How long does that flavor linger? And does it outlast kind of the more structural elements of the wine? So the tannin, the sweetness, the sugar, like, is the character of the wine itself? So the the flavors and the aromas, do those linger past all of that? If yes, that is a long finish. If no, it's probably somewhere in the short finish to medium finish. Short finishes are kind of like it's there and then it's gone. Yeah, and then, Yeah, and then you're just left with acid or tannin or a combination of the two or whatever. Uh, and medium is somewhere in between those two extremes that yeah. we were just talking about. Like if you're still tasting something a good two minutes after you took the sip, that's a fairly everlasting wine. That's, that's mm-hmm. an amazing yeah. finish especially since they can often change, and you want to note those Mm -hmm. changes. That is another good point, is if a wine starts to develop and change after you've already swallowed it, like on your tongue, it's continuing to develop, that's normally a good sign of a quality wine. So all of that word salad, to get us to this point, yes, (laughs) we are going to just go through a quick step-by-step. The main thing to remember is always ask yourself, whenever you notice something, what type? Yes. You can dig as deep as you would like to, or as shallowly as you would like to. The experience is yours to curate and yours to expand. So, without further ado, we have a lovely Chenin Blanc from Cape, South Africa. Apparently, Gabe has tried this one before. I have. I don't remember it very well. That's kind of why I chose it and picked it off my rack, is I thought it would be good to revisit this one. Because I do remember liking it, I just don't remember the exact tasting note that I did for it. So this is called Carmen Stevens Angel's Reserve Chenin Blanc. This came from Naked Wines. I did order it from my subscription. And this is also the type of wine that Gabe prefers over Chardonnay, which he has publicly put on our Twitter, <laughs> at Laidback Lush. In a very uh, classy and refined way. And I, <laughs> and I didn't at all create a wine flavor card 
<laughs> on Chardonnay just to prove a point. <laughs> no, I, I do. I love Chenin Blanc just as a grape. I love it from pretty much everywhere, whether it's from the Loire Valley or from South Africa, where it is really gaining a reputation for high quality Chenin Blanc. It's everything I like about Chardonnay, but just um, <sighs> Chenin Blanc tends to read a little bit higher toned to me than Chardonnay does normally. And by high, higher toned, I mean more delicate and typically a little bit more florally than a lot of Chardonnay. And that's just kind of what I like. I like very clean yeah. white wine. This is not your your buttery Chardonnay drinkers drink. If you do like something more along the lines of Sauvignon Blanc, I would definitely recommend this wine. I will say, in South Africa in particular, there is some oak aging um, experimentation, I guess, going really? on with Chenin Blanc. Uh, typically not like what California does with Chardonnay. It's very much uh, balanced. California Chardonnay is literally mostly named things like butter. Yeah. They're, is, they're named butter. This is not what South Africa on the whole is doing. It's a lot more restrained and more refined, in my opinion. And I have tried one or two that I, I did enjoy the oak on for the Chenin Blanc because it just kind of brings out some of that stone fruit that Chenin Blanc tends to display and make it like, you, like you're talking about peaches in a crust earlier, kind of like a peach cobbler kind of thing. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So... First thing that we're doing is we're looking at the appearance. One thing you might do is have just a white piece of paper or a napkin in front of you so that you can kind of hold it in front of that. That way you're able to see how it kind of stains the uh, appearance of that paper. Yep. For me, I'm getting mostly just a light hay color. Yeah, um, I would. Yeah, I, I the word I would use is lemon, but I think hay could be justified here. Because it's not quite as bright as a lemon, I would say. Yeah. A little less of the canary yellows. Yeah, it's not like bright. It, it, the lighting in here is also very yellow, so that yeah. is not great this for is a, assessing wine. I mean, I can always change the temperature. But I'm leaning toward it's starting to get into gold, but it's not quite a gold yet. Yeah. Um, it's still very much yellow. But it is, it, I would say, probably, this is a hard glass to examine this in, but I would say a, a kind of a medium yellow medium medium lemon medium hay color um not the palest i've ever seen it's not a sun bleached hay no what about the intensity on the nose what do you think oh it's very intense on the nose okay i mean i get a lot of kind of mostly dragon fruit but also melon okay so i personally would put this on the high end of medium mm. not quite in pronounced because i'm not having to swirl a lot to examine but it's not quite really screaming out of the glass for me it's not hitting um, the back of my nose i'll say that yeah it's uh the flavors are very clear and they're very defined but they're not quite leaping out at me mm. so that oh, yeah. to me puts it in the high medium it, it is i will say it's close to the cusp of being pronounced but when I think about Sauvignon Blanc or Gewürztraminer, it's not... That'll hit you a bit more. Because some, some non-aromatic white wines are on that level, where it really does just come out of the glass and it is there. This is not quite at that level. No, it's not overpowering, yeah. but it is... Prone, well, I guess pronounced is the wrong word. It is very intense. But it's not yeah. getting into that it's, punching you in the face level. It's, it, the, the flavors that are here are very clearly defined and very concentrated. Yeah. So what about development? What would you say about the age of this wine? I mean, we know what the age is on the bottle, but... Hmm. I can tell that there is a little bit of aging on there. The freshness of the dragon fruit is kind of disguising that age for me a little bit. But I feel like the melon flavor, that 
is telling me some things about the age of this. See, I would put this very squarely in youthful. I think what might be reading as development is the minerality of the wine, possibly. Because this wine is very mineral-driven. Yeah, I mean, it, it says Angel's Reserve, but to tell you the truth, this is a very fresh-smelling mm-hmm. wine. Yeah. This is like fresh-cut melon and dragon fruit. Yeah, I would put this in, in, in youthful, definitely some mineral. So almost a smoky flintiness, which is a very characteristic hallmark of Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc tends to read a little smoky in the mineral department. Um I'm not getting too many tertiary flavors whatsoever, though. No, no no tertiary at all for me. Yeah. The flavor is, so you said passion fruit and, and dragon fruit, right? Uh, or melon, sorry, melon. Yeah. Passion fruit and melon. So I can I can definitely see that. Um, there is a very strong lemon, citrus, particularly very lemon so. note, which, again, that's very common in most white wines. We do have some floral aromatics going on. I would say kind of just more of a general blossom aroma. Maybe... There's something Maybe a that, little bit of honeysuckle. There's something that reads green, but it's not quite grassy. Um, I, I actually would use grass for this one. You think so? Yeah. It, it's not very loud. It's but not as loud as a Sauvignon Blanc, for sure. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not going into necessarily herbaceous, but there is, there is that it's green. It's almost like a, like a cut vine type of deal. Like exactly, If you were to yeah. cut into a honeysuckle vine, that's more the, yeah. the kind of green that I get out mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, it reads to me as a fresh cut grass, but yeah, I think that's just as, just as good. Um, and again, wine tasting is subjective, right? So I get that. And I do get some stone fruit. I definitely get some apricot and some, some, more white peach than a yellow peach. Uh, kind of not that really, really peachy aroma, but definitely some stone fruit. And a little bit of, again, I know I said honeysuckle, but there is, to me, just a very slight honey sweetness on this. That kind of tends to be like a Chenin Blanc thing, not necessarily a tertiary aroma per se. So let me try I get it. your kind of white peach yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it's that very crisp peach. It's not that fleshy, sugary, yellow peach. It's that more high-toned, soft, white peach flavor. Very fresh wine. So the acidity on this one is quite racy. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to say racy. Um, It's high. It is high. Yeah, this is a high acid wine. But... It's not quite the level of a Chablis. I'll say it's, that. It's a dry wine mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Uh, just to go down our list, it's a dry wine. As far as the, the taste itself goes, I am tasting almost the exact same things. There's a little bit more flesh to that peach flavor yeah. now. Yep. Yeah, I think the fruit is a little bit more. It was concentrated on the nose, but I would say a little bit even more so on the palate. Yeah, but that acid rings out. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way at all. No. It's quite it, pleasant. It, we did a summer wines episode, right? I think this would be a great summer wine. This would oh, be an amazing down. seafood wine because it, it has the cleanness to stand up to seafood, but it has enough character of its own to stand out and, and kind of be its own thing. This would cut through white fish like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No tannin. Obviously, it's a white wine and not a skin contact white wine. So there's not going to be any tannin. There is no oak on this wine. It's not on the text sheet. I can taste it. There's absolutely no oak on here. No oak. Obviously, no tannins. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get tannin on your white wines really ever, unless it's a yeah. skin contact one. Which, if you haven't listened to that episode, please do. Yes. 
Um, we liked it. We really liked it. And we were even uh, messaged by the group that created that wine, and that was very kind of them. Thank you, Stinson. Thank you very much. That was very encouraging. So the alcohol in this wine, I already saw it on the tech sheet. It's 13. It feels 13 to me. It feels 13 in my nose. Yes. Um, Not in the initial uh, aroma where mm -hmm. I'm I'm inhaling, but on the retro nasal, if you breathe out through your nose, you can definitely pick up more of that. It's balanced, though. Oh, yeah. You don't think, oh, I'm tasting alcohol, which is kind of the goal of most wines is not to be super aware of the alcohol. Even in higher alcohol wines, you need to have the concentration of particularly your fruit flavors to really balance that out. I'm actually surprised by the body on this. It reads a little heavier than I was expecting it to. Gives a little bit more character to those kind of fleshy peach notes that we were talking about. Yeah, I would put the body in kind of the low medium category. Yeah. But uh, it's very round. Yeah, The texture is very round. It's very smooth. If it wasn't for the fact that I know for sure that this is a dry wine, it almost gives me that kind of like sugary, sugary texture. type of yeah. viscosity. Yeah, but I know it's right. not there. Yeah, you're right. No. And I think um, I don't know if this maybe had a maceration or something or if this was not very heavily filtered, but the, the body is a little surprising. I would expect it actually to be just like a straight light body wine based what on I the acid expecting. profile yeah but, but even with that strong acid it still reads as being a little heavier yeah than... yeah it has some texture and some weight to it uh, again not not in an off-putting or a bad way at all i actually think it's very nice because it gives the wine a really solid character it's almost luscious in that way mm -hmm. i mean not luscious in w set terms but like mm -hmm. a, a, a luscious texture yeah the intensity matches the nose i think mm -hmm. definitely uh not super pronounced but on the upper end of medium and kind of starting to approach a pronounced intensity on the palate for me. In point of fact, the kind of bouquet that you get off of this, as well as the assembly of fruits, this would, if you were to assemble the fruits that we're talking about right now, it would make a fantastic margarita. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I will say I'm not really a sangria drinker, but I actually think this would be a really good sangria white. No, you you nailed it on the head right there. That's yeah. exactly what this needs to turn into. If you throw in some lemons, some limes, and like, ooh, pineapple would be really good mm -hmm. in this. Some, maybe some like frozen peaches. So I want sage on top of it. Ooh, or like a Thai basil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did just get back from, from Mekong, Mekong. though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the herbs in my broth, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm... I'm feeling out the finish on this one. You can even set a stopwatch for your perception of finish. Mm -hmm. Stopwatches are good, especially if you're starting out. They they can be very helpful. I tend to use the structural versus lingering elements more for mine. Um, I would definitely put this pretty squarely in the medium camp, like just kind of very in the middle for that spectrum, because it's not it's not really pushing that medium the upper end of that medium but it is it's long enough to be satisfying it's not short by any means does it get a little bit more herbal for you yes and also so okay something i forgot to mention with the citrus something to think with citrus if you really want to be nitpicky about it is the juice versus the zest mm -hmm. i would say this is a lot more about the zest than yeah. the juice so that kind of more concentrated oily taste of like a lemon rind versus lemon juice right so that zesty flavor 
I think really lingers and I actually very much enjoy it because yeah. I, I like citrus. I, and I can definitely see, um, I was going to say earlier and I think I forgot to say it. I pick up more of the grass flavor In actually. Flavor. Yeah. Than I do on the nose. And again, kind of that we were talking about certain things might come out more on the palate versus on the nose. But again, all the flavors match the nose. It's just the, uh, the intensity of each of those flavors can vary a little bit. But overall, yeah, uh, the the finish tends to read more on that citrus zest and, and herbal quality, I think. This is a wet grass flavor, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not a dry grass flavor. No, 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 no. It's not like hay or anything like that. It's like it's very much like fresh cut grass to me. Very much so. In the middle of summer. And maybe it just drizzled. It just drizzled a bit. The minerality will help influence that as well. These are our suburban yard tasting well, notes but, but petrichor is a thing that shows up in in wine and particularly yeah. white wine and i would say um well especially uh, south african wines you get a mm-hmm. lot then again i'm also wearing a uh a cologne that it literally has like supposed to smell like a cave it's called night flyer i was wondering what that was it was almost sweet really well so that's the mango and the banana that's in i it. see all right okay all right we're gonna have a tangent here you guys know i i really love fragrances this was originally... a frag head, <laughs> yeah. as they are called. This is made by Ellen Covey, who is a professor of, oh, shoot, I don't remember, but it, it has to do with animals, if I remember correctly. And she studied bats, and she made this fragrance, Night Flyer, off of her time studying bats. And so this is supposed to smell like the cave and the fruit. That is not COVID-friendly. That, that they eat. <laughs> yeah, right? I do think it's a beautiful fragrance, though. Um, definitely sample it if that sounds interesting to you. It's a very unconventional fragrance. I tend to wear very unconventional fragrances. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a work of art that you can smell. But uh, So I'm trying to make sure I'm not mixing that up because Petrichor is like a very clear note in this cologne. Yeah. Um, no, I can still smell it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, by the way, if you're going to an official tasting, do not wear mm-hmm. cologne or perfume. That is poor etiquette yeah. because it can make your podcast partner <laughs> smell things in a wine that he then has to dissect. But I, I do think this wine also has, again, I think it's the minerality, but there is a little bit of a wet stone. And again, that flintiness, kind of smoky, struck flint kind of thing going on. I'm just joshing you. Yeah, um, but I do agree. Yeah. Overall, what do you think of the wine? So when you when you finish all this, right, then you can kind of assess it. At level three, for what I did, you have to assess the quality. Maybe not quality per se, because that kind of factors in some other things. But for our drinkers at home, though, the real question is, what do you like? Yeah. Does this hit what you like? And hopefully this can help you give language to the parts of a wine that you like. So do you like high acid or low acid wines? Do you like fruit forward or uh, secondary forward or even tertiary forward wines? I definitely encourage you to write this down in a note. I keep track of it inside of my notes app on my phone. Wine Folly, if you're familiar wine with Folly. Wine Folly, they have a an actual wine journal of a wonderful woman that I did both level two and three with gifted me one of those journals, actually. And that is a really solid journal because it has all of this, what we just talked about, broken down on each page. Yeah. So you get to fill it in as you go and you don't forget any of these uh, structural elements as you go along. Maybe we'll make our own little tasting thing for, hey. for people to have that would be fun yeah you can it'll be a coloring book color in the <laughs> fruits that you uh taste in this one i'm so down for that actually I would, I would be down for it 
Yeah. So, um, so what do you think, Michael? Uh, what does this hit for you? This is a, considered? a solid wine. I love the refreshing acidity that it brings forward. I mm-hmm. think that the blend of fruits inside of it gives it that refreshing quality that also is luscious and thick enough to be had in AC as well as out in the heat. Yeah. I would totally be willing to see this in a sangria. Serve this very chilled. Yeah, ours, this ours is warming up a little bit, and it's kind of the body stands up to it a bit. Yeah, but it it, it was it be was colder. best it was best at at a cooler yeah. temperature. In my it, opinion, it yeah. could be colder. Uh, yeah. That being said, though, this is a solid wine. I would definitely recommend this for anybody who enjoys Sauvignon Blanc, mm-hmm. uh, Pinot yeah. Grigio. If you like a more tame Pinot Grigio, this might be a little intense for you. Or a unoaked Chardonnay. If you're an unoaked Chardonnay yes. drinker, I think this would be a really solid wine. Uh, those of you who enjoy sour beers and you haven't quite gotten into wine yet, this would probably be a very good starting point for you. I could see that. Or if you um, if you like Pilsners. Yes. I think Pilsner drinkers. Crisp, you, decent like, acidity. Yeah. And if you like more of the restrained style of IPAs, I think this would also be good for that if you're yeah. a beer drinker. Yeah, if you enjoy those things, I think that you would also enjoy this drink. I would never say no to this on a Sunday. So as for my opinion, uh, again, it's Chenin Blanc. I like Chenin Blanc. I know I like Chenin Blanc, particularly out of South Africa. South Africa is making some amazing wines. Yeah, and very affordable. They're kind of like Chile in that regard. Yeah. This wine, again, came from Naked Wines. I know I've talked about them a couple times on the show so far. I, I really enjoy their business model that they highlight, you know, smaller winemakers and producers and this wine holds up it's not the most uh, complex or uh like high quality chenin blanc i've ever had i will say that but when i say that not every wine is going to be a 40 dollar bottle of wine you know like not every wine has to be this groundbreaking the best wine you've ever had kind of thing and i think as wine professionals we should remember that more that not every wine has to be mind blowing or groundbreaking, and this wine is is not mind blowing or groundbreaking, but it is well made. It is very enjoyable to drink. I would love to have this, particularly with like some shrimp scampi or some lobster. I think this would hold up so well to seafood in the summer, yeah. man. Like I would be okay with this in gumbo, to be perfectly frank. Ooh, yeah. That oh my oh, that sounds actually really good. Because the bright acidity that's in it could just get into all of those spices. Yeah. And and this wine, I think, uh for the for the discount I got on it, I think it was eight dollars. But um normally it's so normally it's eighteen ninety nine, which I would say is actually a pretty solid price for this wine. And again, solid wine. I really like it. It's balanced. It has a solid quality on it, and I would recommend it. Highly recommended by the man himself. So uh, let's give like just a few quick tips for wine tasting, because hopefully this is informative, but if you still have questions, I know for me, the first thing that always pops into my mind, and it's something we were actually just talking about this with someone earlier today, narrow down as much as you can. So if you're a beginner, you listen to us talk right now, and you're like, I could never list half the things you guys are talking about. Listen, I started in the exact same place, right? So yeah. start with what you know. If you smell citrus, ask yourself, can I pinpoint what kind of citrus? Yeah. Lemon, lime, orange. If I smell red fruit, okay, red cherries, raspberries, red plums. Like, can I narrow that down? That is a really good way to 
start to build up that language because it's all language yeah. at the end of the it's day. It's like being a painter. You yeah. start with your broad strokes and you heard us say it, you know, we're like, oh, well, I, I'm getting a lot of citrus fruit off of this. And then we started narrowing it down. Oh, yeah. well, it was, it was passion fruit. Mm-hmm. Or I got a little bit of melon. Well, what type of melon? Was yeah. it a honeydew? Was it, you know, a cantaloupe? What type of melon was it? You paint with your broad strokes. Yeah. And then as your experience builds, you'll be able to specify more and more. Mm-hmm. So if all you have to say about a thing is, I think that this is red fruit. You can ask yourself why and don't yeah. force the answer. It's yeah. okay. And you end up having that experience moving forward. Then a year later, after you've done this, you return to a wine you've already had and you can specify all those mm-hmm. things that beforehand were an amorphous solid to you. Yeah. I would also say do comparative tastings, please. So try a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. Well, okay. Try a Pinot if you can afford it. Try yes. a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. Uh, if you can't afford a Burgundy, try a Pinot Noir from New Zealand and then try a Pinot Noir from Willamette Valley next to yeah. each other and start parsing out the differences there because that will really help you hone differences, more of those nuances between the different kinds of wine. And it's always fun oh, at a dinner yeah. it's to be really able to fun. be like, yeah. oh, hey, well, I like Pinot Noir. Oh, really? From where? Mm-hmm. And then you can actually explain. Don't be snobby about don't it. Don't be snobby. Don't, we will don't, never encourage okay. you to be snobby. <laughs> don't say from where. Say from where. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference. And I would also say taste with people that are better at tasting than you are. That Please. is how that is That's how why I, I do this podcast <laughs> with Gabe. <laughs> and that is why I love my boss is because she is an incredible taster. And every time I taste with her, I feel like I find a new a new way to describe something yeah a connection is made and suddenly your ability to taste is advanced because of an observation you wouldn't have thought to make yeah i mean it's like any skill learn from who you can if if you care to obviously not everybody who listens to this is probably really looking to be like the best taster in the world but if you are interested in bettering that part of your wine experience i would definitely recommend seeking out people who you just know more in general than you do who can Give some hopefully very gracious and gentle pointers. Don't seek out people who uh, are uh, a lot of words without a lot of substance. I'll say that because there is a fair number of people out there that are like that. But uh, look for people who are trustworthy. Yeah. People who are trustworthy, people who are inclusive. Please do not go after people who make you feel belittled. Yeah, no. They are in the wrong spirit. Yeah, no, absolutely not. We do not encourage that behavior on any level, really. So that all being said, we hope that you've enjoyed our tasting episode. If you have not already done so, please follow us at LaidBackLush on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you'll be hearing from us soon. If you do have any questions, feel free to direct message us, slide into those DMs. And until next time, I have been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.